good morning and welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston and I'm the youth pastor here and it is so good to be here today. You, you feeling good this morning? You, oh, that's good. That's good. There's like some actual energetic people. I can tell some of you in this room are the ones that woke up at 5 a.m. every single day. You drink eight gallons of coffee and like you're just ready to go. Go, And I love that. I'm more so like wake up right before you got to be somewhere in the morning kind of person. Chug as much coffee as possible and show up hopefully alive. Um, and so it is good to be here alive and well today. And, and before we jump into um, the message today, I just want to take a moment. Anytime I get to uh, preach on, on this stage or any one of um, at any one of our campuses, I always want to take a moment and honor Pastor Aaron and Miss Tammy Cole, the lead pastors here at Life Church. Can we just give them a round of applause? I know you know, but just from me uh, on, as a staff perspective, I want you to know it is awesome to, to be under leaders that God has positioned in such a place and to see what God is doing through them and in them here in the greater Milwaukee area. And so I'm, just, I'm grateful, and, and I just think it's, it's right to give honor where honor is due. Today, if you have your Bibles or smart devices, you can go ahead and turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17. Some of you immediately have no clue where that is because it's in the Old Testament. And so don't turn too far. In fact, if you need your table of contents, use that. There is no shame in that game whatsoever. First Kings chapter 17, um, it's a story about a man named Elijah. Uh, there's, there's kind of two central characters in this story. There's Elijah, and then there is a widowed women, woman uh, that, that they have a conversation, and, and we kind of see the story unfold between the two. Before we dive into that, and as you're turning, I just want to give a brief kind of foundation for how we're going to approach this today. I, because here's the deal, and I think this is super important. In a day and age where superheroes reign supreme, where the Marvel universe is ever expansive and is seemingly encapturing all generations, young and old alike, where every single person is, is thinking superheroes are, are the greatest thing on earth. I, I just want us to be super careful that when we approach the Bible, we remember and understand that we are by far not the heroes. Okay? And for some of you here at 9.30 in the morning, that's not encouraging to you, but I hope when I say this, this, this will help you out. Because you are not the hero, that takes the pressure off you. Because you're not the hero, that means that the work has already been done by somebody else. Because you're not the hero, that means it's not up to you to save somebody. It's not up to you to fix a situation. And it's not up to you to be the one to rescue everything. It's not on your shoulders. Praise God. That's something to rejoice in because the battle's already been fought. The victory's already been won. The day is already gone. Jesus has already won the victory through the death and resurrection there back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know the story and we celebrate it and we read it, but still time and time again, you and I have this, this, um, uh, this ability to try to insert ourselves as the hero in the story. Uh, when we read the story of David and Goliath, remember that we're by far much more like the Israelite cowering in the corner, hiding behind the largest person we can find, hoping that we're invisible to the enemy, than we are like David, who was boldly standing up to Goliath saying, 
I'm going to take you, I'm going to kill you, and we're going to see God do this. We're much more like the Israelite than we're like David. David is a type of Jesus. David is a picture, an image of Jesus who would win the victory for us. So when we go into 1 Kings chapter 17 today and we see Elijah, let's not immediately jump to comparing ourselves to him, but rather I'd like us to draw our attention to the widowed lady and to see that I think if, if we're being honest, we're a lot more like her than we are like Elijah. So here, 1 Kings chapter 17, um, at the beginning of the chapter, Elijah goes over to King Ahab. He was a wicked king at the time and proclaims, hey, by my word, there will not be any rain or dew on the ground until I speak otherwise. Essentially saying, hey, right now from this moment on, there's a drought until I say otherwise. And here, beginning in verse 7, it says, Sometime later, the brook dried up, meaning that for a considerable amount of time, there had not been any rainfall. Thus, the brook that had been running through the area dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. Just before we dive too far into this I think some people in the room today are just like this widowed woman, woman, that in the midst of a drought, whether it's physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally, whether it's in your marriage, with your kids, with your, with your bills and trying to figure out how to make it work, with, with your job and trying to wonder, is God ever going to open a pathway for you to enter into the next stage of what you feel like you're called to do? You're in this season that's super dry and what is called a drought. Maybe it's spiritual and you have been coming to church and reading your Bible and you've been praying three times a day and you've, you, you've been in small groups, you've been doing what you feel like you're supposed to do and then it just seems like you can't hear God. Maybe it seems like uh, you, you, you're, you're going to work, you're, you're faithfully showing up, you're faithfully working hard, you're giving your tithe, you're giving in offerings, you're, you're, but, but it just seems like at the end of the day, your spreadsheet and your bills just don't line up adequately. Parents in the room. You've been doing family devotions, you've been praying together, you've been bringing your kids to church, you send them to youth on Wednesdays, you send them to youth on Mondays, you try to get them out of the house and into the church any possible chance you can get. Come on, I know the trick. Um, you, 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 you are doing what you feel is right, but it seems like at every turn and every bend there's rebellion, there's, there's a heart that is not for God but is against everything you've taught them. You're in a drought. And I think like, like this lady, if we would just kind of observe a few principles in the passage today, we would gain an understanding of what to do when in the midst of a drought and how to essentially get out the drought. How to get out the drought. And before we hop any further, I really find it interesting that Elijah walks up in the middle of a drought. Remember, the brook dried up. It's been a bit since he said there was going to be a drought. No rain has fallen. Elijah walks up to this lady and says, hey, can I have a drink? That seems like the furthest, that's like just showing up to somebody's house who you know hasn't been grocery shopping, 
for a long time saying, hey, fix me some food. That's like, like obviously Elijah, she probably doesn't have a lot of water. And if she does have water, she definitely doesn't have food because there's been a drought. It immediately draws my attention to a moment in the New Testament when Jesus is sitting at a well and a woman walks up to draw water in the middle of the day and Jesus looks at her and asks if, he, if she would draw him some water. And then she begins to say, but you have nothing to draw with. And Jesus replies, if you only knew who I was, you would be asking me for water rather than I ask you for water. I, I find it interesting that God often asks things of us that we in our own right have no ability to provide. Maybe, maybe we have a piece of the puzzle. Maybe we have a small amount. Maybe we have something to, to give, but we don't have the full picture of what he's asking of us. God will often ask of us what we are incapable of completing on our own. And in the midst of a drought, it's imperative that we understand how to respond. So first and foremost, to get out the drought, don't focus on your failures. Don't focus on your failures. It continues in verse 12. She responds to Elijah after he asks for bread. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't got any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I, I want to draw our attention to some of the verbiage used there. The words, I, I, I think words are super powerful, okay? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not about this name it, claim it kind of stuff, but I do believe that the way you talk is super influential on your mindset, is super influential on your environment, and is super influential on how you approach life. I, I just want to draw our attention to the words she uses. Only, handful, a little, a few die. If I'm just being real today, those seem a lot like words of lack. And I know people that talk like this all the time. You always do this. You know, some of you heard that this morning. You're always late. You're never on, the, on time. You're, you never do this. You always, why can't we do, why does it always go, why does this happen? Why is this and we get into this stance where we can often and, and continually pick out what's wrong in our lives and we begin to focus on the failures that we're facing. You see, this woman, she was the sole provider. Her husband had passed away. She had to take care of herself and her kid. And she was here trying to provide. And if we're just being real, she was at the point of failure. Listen, I'm not saying ignore reality. I'm not saying don't act like it's not happening. I'm not saying that you just completely become oblivious to all that's wrong in life and act like everything's great and you just walk around smiling all the time. Those people are annoying. No, 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 don't be that. <laughs> because we know you're jacked up, okay? We know we're all messed up. If we're just being real, which we're in church, so let's just be real. If we're just being real, we're messed up people. But it doesn't mean we have to focus on our failures. We don't have to remain in what has caught us before. In fact, I, I think this is important. You are not your failures. You are not your failures. But it's easy when we fail once and we fail twice and we fail a third time to think that now we're reduced to the essence of what we have done and to the essence of what we cannot do anymore. We are our failures, but you are not your failures, so stop focusing on them. 
You see, what was being tested in this woman was her respect for God's word. And we, continue to, and, and we see as we continue to move forward in the passage that God is not limited by our lack. God is not limited by our lack, so stop focusing on your failure. Because in verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. I love that Elijah isn't, and God often throughout Scripture doesn't just become um, like the quick, easy. He doesn't just say, coddle us all the time. He's not like, oh, it's going to be okay. Let me hold you. It's going to be great. You're doing just fine. No, no, no. He's like, hey, yeah, go ahead. Make yourself a meal and die. That's good. But, but first bring me some bread. I'm hungry. Specifically, if you could, get some of that bread with that cinnamon butter from Texas Roadhouse down the road. That stuff's good. Um, like, I want a good, maybe some red lobster cheese bread type of stuff. I want something good. Give me bread first, and then you can eat your meal and die. It's all good. He doesn't give a reoccurring, uh, re encouraging words. He doesn't, like, help her along the way. He just says, yeah, make your meal. But first bring me some bread. Elijah really, really puts it out there that God is not going to be limited by what she has or what she doesn't have. In fact, I've learned in my life that sometimes God shows up the most when we're at our least. You see, God may not give you bread, but he'll give you the potential. God may not give you the raise, but he'll give you the ability to work for it. God may not just show up at your doorstep with everything you could ever imagine, but he's placed something in you to be able to begin to produce. God is not limited by our lack. God can make bread if he wants to. We see this in the Old Testament when the Israelites are, are, are wandering through the wilderness and, and God begins to provide manna from heaven and it just begins to rain bread down from the skies day after day after day. God can make bread if he wants to. That's easy. This is God. He, he made the world. He made the, the universe. He made the galaxy. Like, this is God. He can rain down bread from the heavens if he wants to. But instead, he gave this woman some potential. He gave her a little bit of, of olive oil and a handful of flour. And then the question was, what are you going to do with it? I think sometimes in our lives, we question whether or not God will provide because we don't see the provision in our hands, when in reality we're ignoring the potential that he's placed there. Sometimes we question, is God going to show up? But we ignore the fact that long time ago he gave us the potential to do what we're asking him to do for us. Your limitations are simply invitations for God to do the miraculous. Your limitations, when you come to your end, when you come to your limit, you, when you meet face-to-face -face with something that you cannot overcome, just remember, it's an invitation for God to show up and do what only he can do. That should be encouraging. So next time you run into a brick wall in your life, just remember, it's an invitation for God to show up in a way that only he can. It's not on you anymore because it's at the end of your limitations that you discover God's power. When we lack, God does not. Scripture says in our weakness, he is made strong. The third thing I want to draw our attention to today is that God promises to provide. God promises to provide. Remember, don't focus on your failures. God isn't limited by your lack. And the reason he's not limited is because time and time again, God promises to provide. 
Verse 14, Elijah continues right after commanding her, yeah, 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 go eat and die, then bring me food. But for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour, that little bit of handful, that, that small amount of flour you got will not be used up. And the little bit of olive oil you have left will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the land. He's essentially telling her, hey, if you do this, your potential will not give out until rain hits the land again. And until provision is made for all, what's been provided for you, the potential provided for you will not run dry until there's rain again. Pastor Greg talked about this last week. In fact, if you missed last week, I would encourage you go back, watch his message, and then come back and listen. Just jump right back into this one because Pastor Greg hit this point so heavily last week. God, God will provide. God will provide time and time again. We see his provision just overflowing in the lives of Christians and the lives of believers and the lives of God and God-fearing believers and Christ followers. We see that God will provide. Pastor Greg said that God uh, will supply all of our needs according to his great riches and mercy. That's straight from the Bible. We, we see that God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. We see that God cares about the flowers on the ground and he cares about the birds in the air. How much more does he care for you and I? We know that God provides. And if you've been a part of church any time, if you've been following God for any stretch of time, you, you know this point. Whether you always believe it and always act like it and you always um, maneuver in this, in this faith position, you, you know it. We, we get this. That's why we're so faithful in giving here at Life Church. That's why we push greater so strong here because we know that God will provide. He, he will supply. That even when we are limited, even when we have lack, even when we're in drought, that God has the ability to provide. And that should be encouraging. That should help you today. That should remind you that, again, it's not on me. I will do what I can do. I've only got what I've been given, but at the end of what I've been given, that's where God shows up. God promises to provide, even in our lack. But as I read this story, I begin to think that perhaps this story is a little less about God's promise to provide and a little more about the question, what do you prioritize? Perhaps it's a little less about God's promise to provide and a little more about this question, what do you prioritize? In verse 15, it, right after Elijah says that, go make me bread. Yeah, yeah, go, go fix yourself something. But first bring me bread and then you, you can do whatever you want. But God promises your, your oil will not run dry. Your flour will not run out. And then in verse 15, it says, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for her family. This story ultimately boils down to where your priorities rest. There was the command to give, and she gave. And she didn't just give, but she gave first. And, and I think in our lives, this is where we can really get the waters muddied up. I think for the majority of us in this room, um, there, there's areas of lives where we've prioritized God in a great manner, great fashion. We bring our kids to church every week. We have family devotions. We pray together. We, 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 we talk about God. We talk about the, the things of God. We, we, we prioritize well in that area. But when it comes to our finances, maybe you've been burned a couple times and you've 
put it all on yourself to figure it out and to do the spreadsheets and to make the formulas and to, to balance the checkbook. And you feel the stress and you feel the weight. Maybe you prioritize in your finances just fine and you give and, and you're faithful in that and you do that. But, but when it comes to, to your, like the work and success and, and, and whether or not you will get the promotion or get the job, it's all on you. Anytime there's a job opening, you're sending out resumes before you consult God. You, you question if you're where God has you. And, and really all you're doing is looking towards what's next rather than focusing on where God has you in the moment. You see, I think for us Christians, all of us, depending on where we are and who we are, we, we prioritize God great in some aspects, but we fail drastically in others. I think if we're being honest today, the quick answer to what do you prioritize, since we're all sitting here in church, would be, yeah, we prioritize God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise him. We prioritize God's first. And that's cute, and that's good. But what if instead of just putting God first, we put God in everything? What if instead of just saying, yeah, 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 I'm going to go to God, and then I'm going to do everything else. What if we said, no, 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 I'm going to go to God, and through God, I'm going to do work. And through God, I'm going to take care of my family. And through God, I'm going to take care of my kids. And through God, I'm going to balance that checkbook. And whether it balances or not, I'm going to figure it out and trust it to God. And, and through God, I'm going to be faithful to give. And through God, my kid may not get into the college I want him to go to, but I'm going to trust God. That there's a better plan for him to go somewhere else. And God has a plan to wreck his life when he gets there and turn his heart back to him and through God and that it's this through God mentality not just God first because when we put God first and everything second and everything third and everything fourth we then separate God out of the equation in those situations but what if we said no 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 through God instead of just being God first we were God centric and everything in our lives revolved around, circled around, focused in, and rested in God. That we got to this point in our lives that whether we ate or drank, as, as, as Paul writes, that we would um, give glory to God. Whether you're, you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing, how big or how small, that your heart is to bring glory to God. What I've learned from this story is that the promise of providence is linked to the principle of priority. That's good. You know, anytime there's alliteration, it's good. The promise of providence is linked to the principle of priority. God promises to provide time and time again. We see it. It's obvious. It happens over and over. Scripture is full of the providence of God. We see, we see that Elijah, prior to where we see him in this text, that God sent ravens with food to feed him. Literal birds flying food down to him in the midst of a famine. God will provide. We see that Elisha, the guy that, that followed after Elijah, fed a hundred people with just 20 pieces of bread. We see that Jesus fed 4,000 plus on one occasion and 5,000 plus on another occasion simply with a small amount of food. Listen, I, I wholeheartedly believe that God will provide. And that's why with my finances, like when it comes to tithing and giving, it's, to me it's not about an issue of heaven or hell, but it's more so an issue of priority. Where do your priorities lie? Because if your priorities lie in yourself and your trust relies in yourself and you depend all on you to make it happen, then you're not probably going to see the provision of God. But when you begin to rely on God, when you begin to trust in God, 
When you begin to prioritize God, not just as first, but as center of everything you do, there, there begins to be something happening. God, you, you begin to see God working in levels and in ways that you haven't seen before. And your life may not get to a point where it's overflowing, but it will always be provided. I love that it said there was food for every day for Elijah and for the woman and her. I love that it doesn't say bread sprouted everywhere. Bread began growing from the ground in her house. All, there, there was just jar after jar after jar of oil from that point on. There was just tons and tons of flour, so much so that you couldn't even imagine. No. What it said was the oil that was there didn't run dry. The flour that was there didn't give out. So every day, it's a, it's a question of trust. Because as she goes back to that little jar of flour, she goes back to pick the same amount of flour that she picked the day before. And there's just enough again. Bam. She goes back to get the oil. And there's just enough oil. She makes the bread. Goes to sleep. Wakes up the next day. Little kid's crying, Mom, I'm hungry. Okay, honey. She goes over. Picks that same amount of flour. Gets that sa- I don't know how to make bread, so just bear with me in this, like, whatever. Gets the oil. Same amount of oil. It's not overflowing. It's just, it's just enough. Friends, we, we can play church. We can, we can be all crazy. Listen, I could be preaching this in the South right now, and they'd be going wild. They'd be jumping up, doing Jericho marches. They'd be going crazy because they know that God will provide and supply all of their needs according to his great riches and mercy. That every single day, as they trust upon God, they go back to the same well and to the same jar, and they continue to draw the same amount and see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he doesn't run out yesterday, he's not running out today. And if he doesn't run out today, he's not running out tomorrow. And I may not like the job I'm in right now, but, I'm not, but I know that tomorrow he's going to keep providing. And I may not like where my kid's at spiritually right now, but I know that if, if I will trust in God, that God will continue to woo his heart and the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to him. And I may not like where my marriage is at right now, but I know if I practice the principle of priority, I will see the provision of God and I'll believe for the miracle and the breakthrough in my marriage. Friends, you may not see the overflow. You may not see the abundance, but there will be enough if you trust. That's the principle of priority. It's not just will God provide. It's will I prioritize. Yeah, Dylan, but I really want that two-story house with the white picket fence, two-and-a-half-car garage, 2.5 kids or whatever the average is up here. I feel like it's five or six. Y'all have a lot of kids. Y'all do, my goodness. Life Kids is overflowing. I really want that dream car. Yeah, 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 that's cool. And you may get it one day, but also you may not. But at the end of the day, we've got to ask ourselves, what do we prioritize? Someone used to ask me what my favorite car was, and I said, a vehicle that will get me from point A to point B that I don't have to do a lot of work on. 
because I don't know how to do car work. Anybody out there with me? Like, I'm a guy, but I'm not that type of guy. Like, I don't know. I changed license plates on our car to Wisconsin plates, and I thought I was like a mechanic. So <laughs> just saying. Nah, but will it get me from point A to point B? Cool, God's providing. <sighs> but I don't got that house. Cool, it's okay. Do I have a roof over my head? Cool, God's providing. My kid, they seem a long way off. Yeah, but there's seeds. There, there's, there's something that's taken root in their hearts, and they just continually to come back to you for advice and to come back to the church for help and to come back. Mm, there's something that when God gets a hold of their lives, it's going to radically change what they're doing and how they're living. Will you prioritize? prioritize? Today, I, you may not be in a drought. Maybe some of you are. But someone in here may be like, no, I'm good. Prioritizing God, finances are good. Prioritizing God, family's good for the most part. Prioritizing God, marriage is still there. We're good. I think one of the biggest tests of our pride is when we're at our least and when we're at our greatest. When we're in lack and when we're in surplus. You want to know why? Because in both situations, it's easy for a human mind to want to trust in themselves to find a way out or trust in themselves because they've gotten themselves there. But what I learned through Paul in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need or in lack or in drought or not have anything or, or just have a little bit and a handful. I know what it is, but I also know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this. Us Christians love to put that on like face paint before we go out to football games. I can do all things. I can tackle the snot out of him. It's not biblically accurate, but okay. No, no, no. I can live in plenty or I can live in lack. I can be in the drought or I can be in surplus. But regardless of that, I'm going to be content with where I am, trusting that he has it all under control and trusting his promises to provide regardless of where I am at. 1 Kings 17, 16 closes out the story that we read today, and it says, For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You see, today... The drought around you may continue. The drought around you may seem very evident and real. But if we begin to prioritize, the famine within you is over. The famine within you is over. There can be life again. There can be joy again. There can be hope again. There, there, there can be excitement again. There, there can be laughter again. The drought may still be going on around you, but you can walk in the midst of a drought knowing that the famine within you is over because your priority is set on God. The question is not whether or not God will provide. I think for the most part, we all agree on that. The question is, will we prioritize? Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you. I thank you that this doesn't rest on my strength or on my abilities or on my powers. For if it did, God, this would be a drastic mess. But God, I thank you. 
that I can trust in you with all my heart. And that as I do that, you, you begin to make my path straight. That you begin to provide all of my needs according to your great riches and mercy. That I never need to go a day in lack because I know the God who provides. So God, I declare today that I put you first. No, 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 I put you center of everything I do. God, my job here at the church, I put you center. My life, my family, my marriage, my home, I put you center. God, my finances, let me not spend money thinking that it's mine, but God, let me trust in you knowing that you've given me the ability to have an income. Now let me trust in you with everything that I have. God, it's all yours anyways. So let me trust in you with that. God, today I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Show us the area we lack prioritizing you in. I pray that today we would make the choice to put you at the center of everything we do. That we would not live another day prioritizing anyone or anything but you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise?